I think the bit that I find most exciting, how do you get members of the public, of the community, to be interested in something that just doesn't cross their day-to-day life? Fred, what is happening this week on Creative Generation? This week we're chatting to Julian O'Shea, who is an engineer and an academic and is also a science explainer. And he's just gotten onto YouTube and TikTok and he is killing it. And he's going to give us some tips on how to make great explainer videos. All right, well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Creative Generation. We are here today with Julian O'Shea. He's a guy who tells interesting stories. And for those who are regular listeners, I take a page out of Ant's book here. I'm going to let Julian introduce himself and tell you all about himself. So take it away, Julian. Look, thanks for having me. Um, I do wear a lot of hats, and I think that's kind of the modern world of, of work. I'm an academic. I'm doing a PhD at Monash Uni, and I teach at the University of Melbourne. Um, I'm an engineer by background, um, and recently, in the last year or so, I'm adding yeah, YouTuber and TikToker into the mix with a big kind of focus on educational storytelling and making mini documentaries of the world around us. And for me, that's Melbourne, Australia. Hmm. Well, I mean, look, we, we, we've met lots of academics who are really keen on using these platforms more. You're one of the ones who seem to have done quite well in it, and we're going to get to that. But let's just start with, like, at the beginning, like, you obviously are an engineer, then you're in academia. How did, how did you go from that and then into the world of YouTube and TikTok? Yeah, so I've really had a big interest in storytelling, and I think that's kind of what educators do a lot, or it's definitely what they should be doing a lot. So look, the idea of um, you know getting up on stage and telling a story is something that I kind of like to do. So I've done things like written a show, kind of that's comedy and storytelling for the Melbourne Fringe Fest. I've been to a lot of kind of science outreach activities before. Um, there's a really strong community of science communicators. So I've been involved in that world, and that's been a lot about telling stories and um, engaging with the public on topics that they wouldn't normally be interested in. So I've kind of had that as part of my background, but the video piece is the bit that's that's new. So my work, um, I was running an organization, um, my own kind of business, and it would lead study tours overseas. So taking groups of students to Asia to learn about different innovators, to learn about sustainability. And as you can imagine, it's probably the worst possible business to be in, in a COVID era, large groups of people getting on planes, traveling across Asia. So yeah, my life um, locked down, shut down like a lot of people's. So I kind of use that as a chance to say, look, you've been wanting to do video storytelling for a while. Maybe now's the time to sit down, learn editing and start making content. It's a definition of scalable, isn't it? <laughs> you walk into a lecture theater and even a huge one's got, you know, a hundred students in it, maybe 200. So the idea of being able to produce something that gets seen by thousands or millions is yeah, pretty exciting. Hey, I want to talk a bit about this idea of a science explainer. Now, we had Lab Muffin on a couple of episodes ago, and you know, um, people had asked a bit more about the idea of being a science explainer. Um, and it's just a bit more than basically explaining science, I guess. It's, um, there's a bit more theory and practice that goes into that. Can you just sort of expand on that? Like, what is a proper science explainer? So there's a couple parts to it. One is, I think, the bit that I find most exciting. How do you get members of the public, of the community, to be interested in something that just doesn't cross their day-to-day life? And I think that's something that I've really focused on. So some of my most successful and popular videos are just about things that people don't know exist, or they certainly don't know that they're interested in them. So that's step one. Like, how do you find a hook to something which is a bit obscure? As an example, I think the most popular video on my YouTube channel is about these blue squares that are on the poles of Melbourne. And it's just something that people haven't thought about. What are they there for? What's the reason? Uh, The answer is that they help the fireys work out where the um, fire hydrants are. 
But this part of design is just something that people don't see as part of their day-to-day. So that's part one. And part two is about how do you make that either design knowledge or science knowledge or engineering knowledge really accessible so people can both understand it but enjoy it. It should be a fun voyage as well. Hmm. And do you have like, is there like a gold standard of science explainers on YouTube that you look at and go like that guy or girl does it really well? Um, I love the work that comes out of Vox, um, V-O-X. Um, they've got some really brilliant explainers and also, cause that's their approach, explainer journalism. So rather than like, these are the most current facts that are happening today. A lot of their approach is what's the context behind this. So some of their creators are, are really incredible. Um, Johnny Harris is an amazing, um, mm travel educator, storyteller across a range of topics. Um, in the world of kind of educational YouTube, there are some people I really love. I love um, Jay Foreman, who's a British creator, and he just adds so much humor into the mix that it's um, you know hard not to watch and have a smile on your face, but also learn a lot. And I think yeah. Tom Scott is an incredible um, articulate creator who yeah goes the extra mile of going to these amazing places and telling stories from the field. Yeah, I mean, there's so many amazing ways people explain things now. I mean, I think when it, when it first started, people used to jump on the platform and, you know, just purely explain A to Z, like this is how something works. And then they realized, I mean, there are so many more interesting and engaging ways to do that. And it's sort of um, bred this whole generation of super interesting, educational, but also highly entertaining videos. Um, you know, I was just telling Lee the other day, I watched a, a video by CGP Grey about like um, – Tumbleweeds, right? Yeah. Tumbleweeds. Like you, you'd seen them in Westerns and you never really thought about them. Um, and you're like, oh, look, there he has a tumbleweed and it sort of became a joke. And uh, and then he said, well, let me just tell you a little bit about tumbleweeds and why they're like, you know, catastrophically bad. And I watched this video and I was utterly shocked. Was like, I was entertained and educated, but that's terrified of tumbleweeds by the end of it. And it was like, it's amazing how something you don't really think much about can become like this really interesting topic. And those experiences of looking up you know, after spending, realize you just spent 22 minutes watching a, a video about tumbleweed, something you've never given thought for, but it sticks in your brain and you want to tell other people. Uh, that's the feeling that I try to create. And it's pretty special um, as you've experienced. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think a lot of videos, like, I mean, especially if you, I mean, if you watch things like vloggers and, and other types of formats, you tend to look at them and go, Oh, I'm really engaged and entertained by that. But I feel it's the, the explainer videos, the ones that have done really well, those stories that really stick with you and the ones you want to really tell friends about and really get them into. Like I find like, those are the channels I want to binge the most i'm not sure about you though yep absolutely absolutely and that's a really nice feeling in learning something you didn't know and you know passing that on i think it's one of the reasons why um podcasts are so successful even though they don't have very you know good built-in mechanisms for sharing but when people have a good time they they tell people about it and that's kind of like you know old school word of mouth yeah how about you lee do you have a, a favorite explainer channel or a favorite creator tells things yeah, I, I definitely like anyone that's breaking down film and technology. But but I think the interesting point that you made there, Julian, is that your channel, it's things that people maybe didn't even know that they cared about. But the way that you deliver the story is so engaging that suddenly they want to learn. So I've got a couple of questions on that. One, do you know what your demographic is in terms of like your age demographic of your of your audience? It's pretty broad. Um, the biggest cohort is 18 to 34, but I just think that reflects a bit of who's using YouTube. So look, I make videos both on YouTube and TikTok and on YouTube it skews male, but on TikTok it skews female. So mm. um, I think that's a bit platform-based rather than more of my content perhaps. Yeah. But um, I actually was looking at the demographics the other day uh, about 
it does spread pretty big. So, you know, three or 4% are in that kind of 13 to 17 bracket and a similar numbers at the back end at the 65 plus. So I actually think it looks pretty similar to who's on the platform. So I think it actually does spread pretty wide. Well, the reason I was curious is because, and I don't know if you think about this as well as an educator, but I think a lot about the age that we become interested to learn because when we're in primary school and maybe even high school to some degree, a lot of people, and I'll put myself in this category, I was not ready to sit and learn. Like I did, I I was questioning everything. Why do I need to learn this? When am I going to use this in my life? How is this practical to me? And there's a certain period where you realize actually the art of learning is training your brain to, you know, shaping the neural patterns, pathways and things in, in a quite a good way. But then that's because you you have to go to school. You have to learn. This is people deciding to go onto YouTube where they could be, you know, they could be watching anything. There's so much variety and they're specifically choosing to learn. And so I wondered whether there's that as an educator where you think, okay, well, I'm, I better be making these videos for maybe university students that age or above because they're the people who are now ready to learn and they want to sit down and learn and talk about things that they've learned. It isn't really good point. I think it's one of the reasons that... Um you know, a lot of university lectures aren't that exciting because they've got a captive audience. The students have to be there. You've got, you've been assessing them on the content. So look, I think a lot of the things that you think about when you make an engaging YouTube video um, could be applied elsewhere, but you're spot on. I'm not competing with, you know, like I can't make people watch my videos like you kind of can at school or university. So I'm competing with just the most entertaining things on the web. So my approach isn't Okay, sit down and learn. It's come and have a really engaging, interesting video. And yep, don't worry, you'll you'll pick up some stuff on the way. Based on that, do you think that the things like YouTube and TikTok are going to be force universities and schools to be better teachers, more entertaining? Because you know there are effectively sometimes better teachers on these platforms <laughs> than what they're getting taught in institutions. I think it's a bit different. Like I think that that, that these things. Um, have their place to, to teach people about the world and, and different things. But it is different if you're trying to learn a particular skill. Like I, I don't think that, you know, YouTube and TikTok style of, of um, education is going to take over particular skills because it's just a, consumed in a different way. Smaller bites, different, more diverse topics. Whereas if you want to learn, I don't know, how to make financial statements or design a bridge or um, you know, understand thermodynamics, you probably have to step through a curriculum. But I really do hope that some of the lessons about it can be integrated. And I'm working with academics that are really interested in, you know, how do we use video? How do we get people out into the field virtually to show them these things? And I think that, yeah, there's a lot of potential. And I hope some of it takes off because they're amazing. There are some amazing academics and educators um, doing really cool stuff on the platforms. Well, there's a word which I'm going to educate our listeners too, which they may not know, it's called Philomath. And Philomath is a lover of learning and studying. And so I actually wonder whether the more these explainers take off and the more people who maybe wouldn't have thought about watching an explainer, but it gets recommended to them through the YouTube feed, the algorithm smart enough to think you might be interested in this, you watch it and you love it. And then you go down that rabbit hole of learning that it will encourage, you know, the human race to actually be become philomaths, like actually enjoy learning that there is benefit to it. Um, But I was wondering as well, um, Julian, you mentioned that you originally were doing this in person. And so you would go around and you'd be educating people, having conversations. But when it comes to YouTube, you've got to start, middle and an end because there's a fixed duration of that video. And your videos on YouTube, they tend to be about the five to 10 minute mark on average. So I'm thinking, how did you find the transition from, okay, well, I can just freeform talk to people and they can engage and it's very two-way, live two-way, unless you're doing a live stream, of course, um, as opposed to now I've got to do a video with a start, middle and end. It's going to be about five minutes. What was that process like and how did, how did the experience you had doing it in person help you shape 
the structure of your videos? Something great about presenting in person is you can get live reactions. So if you, you know, deliver the same lecture a couple of times or, you know, as I said, I've done a kind of comedy storytelling show where you get to see what reactions are, you can get a bit of a feel for what people actually think in a way that a you know thumbs up on a YouTube video doesn't quite give you the specificity. Yes, there's lots of data about audience retention and the like, but you know seeing what people really enjoy and engage with, I think, is a great way to do it. Um, another thing I think about a lot is what what is the one story that you want to tell? Like, what's the one piece of information about this thing? And focusing on that, I think it's something that educators often get wrong a little bit. They'll say like, you know, they'll, they'll choose a topic like a city or a or a event, and they'll talk about the whole thing. Whereas I think that what what works better in the YouTube world is to have a hook about like what is the interesting thing about that thing um, to kind of engage people with, and you can use that to to um, explain a bigger story as well. Mm. Speaking of interesting things about that thing, I mean, like like Lee mentioned this before, people are talking about interesting sides of things you'd never think about, um, and you mentioned obviously this as well. But like, I'm finding that there are people are finding interesting things in nearly anything. Like they'll say, "Oh, did you notice that grain of sand at the beach?" And like, this is why every grain of sand is different. Like it goes so deeply into it, and you're so enraptured by it. You're like, "This is incredible! I didn't think of anything." But do you, how deep do you think we're going to go with with these levels of interest? Like what you know, like pick up random objects and start to think, "Oh, I wonder how we can tell an interesting story about this." Well, kind of. That's how I approach the world as I walk around um, Melbourne, and that's kind of been a beautiful finding of when people watch my video is the comments that say, I didn't know there were so many interesting things in this city. So look, my topics can seem really bland. Like I'm in Melbourne, Australia, and there's a really kind of famous um, square here called Federation Square. And the building itself is just made up of all of this chaotic mess of triangles. But, you know, there's a bit of maths behind it. It turns out that these triangles are all the same shape and they can be put into a fractal pattern. That is that the pattern repeats. So it turns out it's not covered in triangles it's covered in one type of triangle which repeats and repeats and repeats until it covers the entire side of the building and this is the thing that like millions of people will have seen this building but very few will have kind of understood the maths behind it and when you see that you start to realize wait up there's probably hidden things hidden design um, in so much of the world around us and it's a great lesson to learn to go wait up these things aren't accidental someone designed this someone made this Um, what's what's the story and why are you going to be writing the next Da Vinci Code then, Julian, which has... <laughs> what is the secret pattern in the building? Where does it lead us? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I mean, that is interesting too, because that's that whole that fiction transferring over fact and that blending element too. And sometimes when you listen to something now, you wonder, well, how much of that is actually like actual fact and how much of that is, you know, embellished a little bit? Yeah. Do you find that when you watch videos sometimes, Julian, like you're looking at an explainer video and I'm like, I think there's some fact in that, but there's a lot of maybe license for that as well. My most recent video uh, had a bit of a crack actually at the um, one of these lists of facts that always go around. It's the, um, I'm sure you, you might have seen it. It's the world's weirdest laws kind of articles. Mm-hmm. Have you seen them? Mm-hmm. They're like, in country X, it's illegal to do this. Have you seen those kind of listicles before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically they're all right. They're all garbage. <laughs> like um, a few people have kind of looked into them, like law councils and the like. And there's this group in the UK, the Law Commission, who have made a fact sheet, kind of just of all of these laws that have been passed around as as in inverted commas facts. And they basically just debunk law after law after law. And in that video, I kind of talk about why these things spread, largely because it's clickbait and um, easy to produce. And the fact that other people have 
talked about it means you feel kind of safe saying it's true because, you know, other people have as well. So, you know, a healthy bit of skepticism when you hear these kind of claims to go, wait up, is this actually true? And that's something I really love to dive into. Yeah, it's actually fascinating because some of the, the best creators, they, they, you know, they really make an effort to try and go deep but make sure what they're saying is actually correct. Um, you know, we work um, a lot with the internet historian and, uh, you know, we've been down topic transitions and, you know, he's talked about stuff and then he'll come back and say, oh, you know, I looked into it a bit more and, like, this is actually the way it played out and therefore we can't make a video about it because it wouldn't be right. And I've always admired that. Um, yeah. And I've just watched – I've been talking about CGP Grey a bit because I've just sort of been watching a lot of his content – um, and he's talked about, you know, videos he's done and then had to go back and create yeah. uh, a new video based on that or a second companion video just to explain that more or actually go down that rabbit hole a bit more to say, well, was this actually the way it played out? And it's fascinating because even though effectively it could be a correction, the act of the correction is super entertaining in itself. That's right. The, the journey to discover this stuff is often the point. Um, yeah. So, look, I made a video about there's a um, – in the 1970s, Australia was going to have all these extra towns and cities pop up. So mm. the government, um, Gough Whitlam, said, hey, look, too many people live in Sydney and Melbourne. We need more different towns and cities like Canberra. And they had this um, vision to create one in South Australia. And look, it didn't happen for, for various reasons. And these days it's this massive open range zoo. So there are all of these kind of African animals living in rural South Australia of what would have been a city of 200,000 people. And look, it's an amazing story. Um, and, you know, I went there, I saw it firsthand, but I also went to the State Library of Victoria and dug through the archives to, you know, what was the plan for this city? What did it look like? And look, a lot of people don't even know this story exists, let alone having seen the original documents. So by doing that, one, it's a lot of fun to do. You know, you get to learn a lot about this amazing part of Australian modern history, um, but also tell it to a wider audience. So, Julian, where do you get all these ideas from then? I mean, there's, there's so many different things you could be talking about, and I'm assuming that there's going to be things that you're genuinely interested in, but do you have a process of researching a variety of different topics and just seeing which ones stick and wh which is the one that you know you can pull that one hook from? Like, how do you actually generate all these different topics? Because they're quite varied. They are varied. Um, I'm not sure. It's a really, really interesting thing. I think that um, has made my channel a bit harder in the early stages because no one is searching for blue squares on poles around Melbourne <laughs> next to a video about, you know, debunking these weird legal myths. Um, so I think that's been kind of hard from a findability point of view, but really great on a making stuff you want to make point of view. And when people find it, look, they're, they're hooked. A lot of people kind of binge, binge through the whole thing because they like the discovery aspect. So one of my things is make the video that you're most excited about now because that excitement may fade over time. So if you can like jump on it with a dose of enthusiasm, then there's a good chance that it'll get made and get made well because it takes a lot of time to research these things. A lot of my videos are out in the world. So for example, I made a video about O-Bikes, which was a bike share disaster that happened in Melbourne and other cities around the world. Hmm. And there were these bikes just turned up on the streets and the number one hobby of Melburnians was chucking them into the Yarra. So look, I'd seen one of these bikes as I did my runs around the lake. So when we're allowed out, I'm like, I'm going to go O-Bike fishing and find it and dig it up and see, you know, if it's still in the lake years later, which it was. And that was something I was just excited about for that moment in time. Like, you know, I feel like they've now scratched that itch and it's out of my system. So, yeah, using kind of enthusiasm, but something that I can make accessible is another big factor about deciding which idea to come up with. But do you have a list of ideas? Oh, yeah, I've got like six lifetimes worth of ideas. Right. Do you, do you think it's a thing people struggle with? Because I 
don't. Like, it's just a, a fact that, you know, I've got so many things that would be cool topics. This is what I wanted to mention. is like people often will ask us, like, how do I come up with ideas for videos, right? And I understand that completely. And, I mean, we've made a, a lot of content ourselves. And sometimes you do get stuck. Generally speaking, though, if you have a proper ideation process, you should theoretically be able to come up with almost infinite ideas. Um, but, yeah, look, it's different. Everyone is a little bit different. I think some some YouTubers find it, you know, harder than others. But, like, some people like yourself, and this is one of the things I find really fascinating, um, have just, like, an unlimited source of inspiration because they can just look at something and just go, oh, i got an idea about that. Oh, I can talk about that, um, which is fascinating. And actually, that leads me on to my next thing. I'm going to give you a couple of things. I'm going to throw some of these things out there. Yeah. Tell me, do you think you could make an interesting video about this, okay? You want to give it a go? Let's do it. All right, cool. Nice easy one to start with, fainting goats. Fainting goats. The visuals are fantastic. It's been a meme. I think people will like it. And I don't, don't think people quite understand why. Yeah, I think that'd make a good video. Yeah. yeah cool. How about something simple like, like bricks? Can I tell you a brick story? Yeah. All right. So you guys have used emoji in your life before. Yeah. Um, the story of emoji is pretty amazing. Um, I'm going to get to bricks. Don't worry. Um, it kind of came over from the Japanese system. So basically everyone on the internet needs to agree what symbols look like. It's easy if you use the letter A, B or C because it's all Latin script. But how does one website know what an Arabic symbol looks like or a Japanese symbol looks like? So there's a group called the Unicode Consortium and they've all agreed what every symbol in the world looks like. And this group of linguists and technologists are responsible for every emoji as well as every symbol in the world. So it's kind of an academic group that's looking after these quirky faces. Fun fact, any person in the world can suggest a new emoji. And if they approve it, if it meets their requirements of like not being a brand or not being a fad or, you know, is universal that everyone around the world might recognize it, know what it is, it can get added to the official emoji list and be put on every phone and computer in the world. Fun fact, I went through that process and there is now a brick emoji and I designed and created it. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> awesome. You know what? I had others, but I reckon that's a really, that's, 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 that's a good one to, to stop on. That looks, that's awesome. See, I mean, you can look at something and, and find an idea or an interesting story about that and you can go on a, potentially tons of different tangents. People look at it in a very linear way. Oh, if I said brick, I got to talk about the, you know, the history of the brick or making a brick, but you've just talked about a, a really interrelated fact about it, and, which is which is super interesting as well. So yeah. I, I like that. I haven't made that video yet, but I think I will. The story of emoji and how to get one on the <laughs> 3 billion phones. Nice. You've got to start thinking about like titles. So I'm just trying to think like, what would it be? How I got an emoji on 3 billion phones worldwide. Something like that. That's actually quite interesting as well is, is the ideation process. Like we said, it can get a lot of people stuck. That's clearly not where you get stuck. So that kind of pre-production stage. But I'm interested to know about your workflow then. So you've got ideas are coming to you all the time. So you write them down. You know then you've got to do some research. Then, of course, there's the production itself. And then there's the post-production. And each one of these stages, depending upon the creator and his or her different level of skill in those areas, you could get stuck. Is there a particular part that you think, okay, I've got to get up to this part. This is the part that I can't stand. This is going to take me the longest. Like what's your actual workflow like? Yeah. So I will often have a good, like an idea about what the video will be about. Um, because I do on-site filming, I have to go and do that. If I was more organized and what I plan to do in the future is script my videos better, but sometimes I'll just go and record in the field before really having the script down. So I just say a lot of stuff to camera and then really script it and put it together while editing, um, which is certainly not ideal because it means that you miss stuff. You're like, oh, I should have recorded this and I didn't, or I should have said this and I didn't. 
Um, so the things I think I need to get better at is being a bit more thoughtful about my scripting process. I don't think I'm great at that. Um, and I'm not an editor by background, so I'm all very self-taught and still clunky um, in, in doing that. But I quite enjoy it when you get right into the heart of it. Like that is really where the video comes together. And yeah, you can have a lot of fun with editing. Mm, so the structure itself, and you know, because you've, you've mentioned storytelling a lot, and when you look at your TikTok and like the word story or variation of it is used quite a bit. So that's what I'm thinking. Like it's, but it's so important because we often look at retention. You know, it's a big thing with YouTube is, yeah, you got the clicks, but what was your retention like? And when there's, the absence of a clear narrative, regardless of the niche or the, the type of video, that's where we find people drop off. Now, the story you just told about that brick was awesome because it was almost like a joke. You had a setup and then the punchline when it came through was like, oh, that's a brilliant way to get back to why this is to do with bricks. So that's what I'm wondering, like, is that, you know, with the scripting process, it, it's hard sometimes to just put it all together and fix it in post, as they say, in editing. So you must have some idea of the narrative of the story before you start recording. Yeah, I do I do some of my videos are shorter and very explainy where you just kind of are talking about a thing but the ones that I think are a bit more interesting and better do have a narrative so um, one of my favorite and more popular videos was trying to answer the question why do trucks keep slamming into the Montague Street Bridge <laughs> and it's a famous bridge in Melbourne and it's three meters high and a lot of trucks happen to be 3.1 meters high so they drive there and knock the top off their truck and like hundreds of these incidents have happened so that is a good question. Like, let's go on this journey together to solve why trucks keep smashing into this bridge. And that's one where you can kind of tell a story and say, how did we get here? Okay, this is the history behind why we're here. It used to flood and we raised the height and then we tried to fix it and this was the thing and it didn't work and we tried this and it didn't work. And that has quite a satisfying narrative. Now, mm. that video paid off because I went there to film why trucks keep hitting into <laughs> it. And on the day I was there, a truck smashed into it. So that made a very kind of fun climax to the video. But um, kind of posing a question and going on a journey to find the answer is, is a great way to tell a story, which could have been an, a very plain explainer. Are you then trying to stretch out the explanation across the video? Because one thing we find is that when there's an explainer and let's say the video goes for five minutes, if you've already explained to the viewer within the first three minutes what they came to find out, they're not going to watch the last two minutes. So do you really have to think about that? Okay, well, I need to make sure that people have to stick to the end to actually get the full impact of this story. I do think about that. Um, so you do need something where the answer is not quite as clear as this is the one sentence or one word answer. So it's a short video. It's only a minute long because it's um, in TikTok and YouTube shorts format. But that question around why are there blue squares on the pole around Melbourne um, would be an example of that. You could just say they're for hydrants and you point to the hydrant and like that would solve it in one sentence. But in that, even though, you know, it's a short video, I do explain what it is. These are from emergency and here's you know, and they, they're used to point to hydrants. My next sentence is, and here's how they work. Mm -hmm. Because it's not quite simple as they exist. There's a whole system about how they point to the things and how some, its mission is to get you to the street. And the next one is pointing directly at the hydrant. So within one sentence of telling you the answer, I pose a new question. Okay, Ooh. that's what they're for, but how do they work? And then that's the next journey. Great. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. that hooks. Keep hooking them. All right, I want to start... Let's move on a little bit to the idea of the, the platform and your choice of how you're going to tell these, you know, explain these facts and tell these stories. Now, you work across a couple of different platforms. You know, some creators have a favorite, but like, do you have a favorite? Do you prefer TikTok or Insta or YouTube? What's your favorite platform? So I pretty much use YouTube and TikTok. Um, I'm reasonably new to all this. I only launched my channel um, in mid-2020. 
um, and we're chatting to you in September 2021. Um, so I started making YouTube videos and made a couple of YouTube shorts for things I didn't think needed five to ten minutes worth of storytelling, but were kind of a bit of an interesting, quirky fact. Um, so while I was very small, you know, a smallish number of subscribers on YouTube, I uploaded my first video to TikTok. So zero followers. I'd used the app for like a grand total of 10 minutes. Like I was totally brand new to it. I wasn't even a, a TikTok viewer. And this video, which explained these mysterious signs around Melbourne with these strange symbols on them, explaining what it means. I uploaded this video to TikTok and it got hundreds of thousands of views. You know, my first ever video on the app with zero followers and I was like blown away. Like, you know, you wear your phone, just every time you press update, just maxes out the number of notifications. So look, there's something special about TikTok and how you can reach a big audience um, quickly and the, the reach is really, really big. Um, but I think YouTube is, is stronger for telling a kind of longer narrative and the longevity. Like, like a lot of my videos have done incredibly well to my standards um, now, but when they got uploaded, they had less than, you know, 100 views in their first three months. But yet here we are, you know, six months later or 12 months later, and they've reached a really wide audience. And I think they'll be more permanent. I feel like YouTube is more, you know, findable after the fact, whereas TikTok seems to be in the moment that it gets released, but has bigger scale. Mm. And what do you think though going forward? Do you think it's going to be a mix of the platforms or you're going to stick more to one than the other? Yeah, I think I'll start to make different types of videos. So more kind of, you know, kind of what the platforms are for, short and sharp um, explainer type things on TikTok, maybe with less, you know, on-site production and then do bigger and deeper filming. I think they can naturally go together. Um, there are a few creators that I think do it really well where, you know, if you spend all these hours researching a topic, doing a short, sharp head-to-camera version for TikTok can be really engaging, whereas, you know, busting out the camera and, and filming interviews and stuff makes more sense for, for YouTube why do you think you like you said before like you feel youtube would be better maybe long term for creating you know more uh solid content why do you think that is the case um it's very searchable like you you know there, there are topics that i now have made you know these are very niche topics that that you know if someone types that into google my video will be near the top and people might be searching that for years to come, whereas it feels mm. like on TikTok, it's a little harder to find older content. Even videos I've actively you know, seen, I know who the creator is and I'm trying to find it. It's hard to find. So unless that discoverability changes a bit, um, it's just, yeah, a bit, a bit harder to, to see older content. And because my stuff's evergreen, that like it, the, it's not particularly newsworthy. It's not particularly of the now. Um, it's not worse in one month or six months. So, you know, I'm not doing the latest dance fad or other things that are a bit more timely or, you know, breaking news stories. So there's no reason that it's particularly timely. So, you know, just my style of content, I think will age well. And I mean, I guess obviously you are an academic and, you know, you have discovered these platforms and the benefit of reaching such a, a big audience. Um, but going forward though, how, how are you going to, how are you going to use these? Is it going to be part of, you know, your general mix or are you going to move more towards the platforms or how, how is, what does the future look like for you? Yeah, I'm really excited. Like there's something pretty, it's a pretty good feeling to, to make, you know, explain a content, educational content, or just any content, I guess, that, that reaches millions of people. Like it's a good feeling, like particularly for someone, you know, I think the average academic journal article gets read by about, I don't know, six, 12 people, you know, the, the reach just isn't there. So there's something really fulfilling about that. And because I've had such a positive response, I, I think I am more interested in in doing this as a way to, you know, tell bigger and more interesting stories. 
So while it doesn't look like it, because I've been, my whole channel's existed during the Melbourne lockdown and pandemic, um, it feels very small. Like almost all of my videos are filmed in Victoria or South Australia. I would love to be more ambitious in like scope. So tell stories from across Australia and around the world. Like travel's normally my thing. You know, I, I normally am hanging out in rural Nepal or in big cities in India, leading education programs. So I think more ambitious in scope and storytelling is, is certainly one thing. And um, would love to just get better and kind of raise my production value and storytelling value. And then, yeah, just kind of mer merge it alongside the rest of my projects in life. And what about the revenue side of things? Do you think it could be a valuable source of income? I do. And I think it can be done in different ways than perhaps the standard, um, uh, you know, YouTube AdSense type, type thing. Um, and that's by kind of doing projects that use video storytelling. So, you know, I've done a lot of community projects. I'd love to do things like um, video storytelling training. So, you know, more people can tell their stories. Um, research communication is a field kind of in itself. So... Um, there's a thing that PhD students can participate in called the three minute thesis, where you set a static camera up, you'd normally do it on stage, but in, in lockdown times, you have a single shot and you explain the story of your research in three minutes, um, you know, to a general mainstream audience to try to articulate it in a short period of time. And, um, yeah, my video was a, was a winner of that. So that's an example about how the skills you get in YouTube and making TikToks can apply elsewhere. So I think there's a lot of kind of overlap there that I might really dive into. Cool. And do you think though, like you talked about it, creating um, a way to help people be better explainers. Do you think that academics going forward generally will have to undertake that training because they will eventually have to compete with, you know, more sources from, well, more online sources really? Yeah. Like it's been interesting to see just how kind of knowledge is shared and the internet is just an amazing tool. So video just can explain so things so much better than the written word in so many different ways. Like if you're talking about a place or an object or an event, like even a short clip on video can do it better than, you know, you hear that thing, a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, so it just is a good tool. So I do think it'll be used a lot more um, just for all kinds of organizations in different ways to explain what they do, what their products are, those types of things. So I think it's really worthwhile. And to reach a bigger and different audience. So one thing that, you know, has come up from my YouTube, which again links into kind of business opportunities, is I was commissioned to make a walking tour, a video walking tour of Melbourne as part of Melbourne Knowledge Week. Engineers Australia is kind of a big organization, thousands of members that do a lot of interesting things. But, you know, communicating that to the public isn't necessarily the strength of, of that group. So I made a video that kind of explained, you know, what, what's some of the engineering and design behind Flinders Street Station and the bridges across the Yarra. And that was a brilliant project to kind of apply technical skills to video storytelling to reach a big audience. Would you then, and I'm going to ask a hypothetical because I know we're almost out of time here, but I'm just keen to know based on everything you've just said, virtual reality, that's the new YouTube way to watch a video. How do you use that to tell your next video i think vr do you mean like fully immersive like strap on a headset stuff yeah if you could do this video as an explainer and especially we're considering melbourne is such a big piece of you know you're really showing the world and plus other australians things that they may not have known about their own country um how would you use that technology to tell your next video it's a pretty niche one. I don't think most people are going to be strapping on headsets that often so i would really make it an experience i would take people into 360 degree interesting places and spaces. So for example, there is a under um, 
this square, um, Federation Square, there's a one kilometre plus labyrinth that's used to um, heat and cool it passively. So the sun comes in, heats this big kind of labyrinth full of air so they don't have to use as much air conditioning and cooling. And it's fascinating and would be an amazing experience to, th- to see in 360 degrees. So going to fascinating places like that and letting people come on the, the journey I think would be brilliant for VR. With you at the front leading, so it would be almost like one of your former live experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And even just kind of, you know, being down there and being able to see what it looks like Mm. um, would be brilliant for a VR kind of context. Oh, that's cool. All right, Fred, I know you're waiting to say we're almost out of time, so I'm going to let you say it. Wouldn't be an episode without that. (laughs) Well, we aren't almost out of time. We actually are out of time. Well, that's a shame. Well, is there anything else that we should, I mean, we've got Julian here. What, What final bits of advice, Julian, would you give to aspiring YouTubers, whether it's an explainer? I think we, let's say for those who want to be in the explainer realm, what would you say they need to know? It applies for people that want to do that and anyone that wants to make this stuff. My advice is make a channel or videos that can be a success even if people don't watch them and you get big numbers. What does that mean? Like if you want to go and explore a place, this has been a nudge for me to go and visit fascinating parts of the country where even if I, you know, saw a truck smashing into the bridge, that'd be a story I could tell at the pub and dinner parties for the rest of my life in a really interesting way, even if no one sees the video. I've used it as a chance to hang out with mates, to learn about topics I'm interested in, to interview interesting people and to gain skills to tell stories on video. So that'd be my advice. Make a way to make it work. And that buys you some time because, you know, success takes time doing these types of things. So if you can get through that by loving the journey, you'll be set. Oh, great one. Very nice. All right, Mabel, thanks so much and uh, hopefully get to chat to you soon. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Julian. We the generation. We're on the mic.